when you do the work, what's your goal? Do you want to have things back to energy neutral? Do you want to restore some balance and harmony? Do you want to try to make it a positive beneficial? I mean, when you look at this before there's been any construction, if you're going to be restoring harmony and balance, what are you restoring it to? Hi, I'm Graham Gardner, and you're listening to Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number 41 from the British Society of Dowsers. Well, this episode is a little bit special, as you might suspect from the title. And I've been saving this one for a while, and to tell you the truth, I've been in two minds about running it at all. Uh, But on listening through it again a couple of times, I think there's some really interesting material in it, uh, and it does give a fascinating insight into some of the areas that dowsing can take you. So I think you'll enjoy it. It's a little bit difficult uh, to to know what's going on, as a lot of the time we're referring to maps, which uh, you won't be able to see, but I think you'll get the flavour of it. So uh, back in the spring of 2012, I was over in Canada as a guest speaker at the conventions of both the Canadian Society of Dowsers and the Canadian Society of Questers. And the Questers was the first convention, and it was held in Harrison Hot Springs in British Columbia. And it was there that I met their convention organiser at the time, a wonderful lady by the name of Merlin Beltane. Now, with a name like that, you just know that she's going to be quite a character, and I was very curious to get to know her better, and I particularly wanted to ask her how she came to be called Merlin, Uh, but of course I didn't really know her well enough during the convention to be able to ask that question, so uh, a bit more on that later, but uh, now let me give you a little bit of background on the conversation that uh, you're about to hear. After the convention in Harrison Hot Springs, I had the chance to spend quite a bit of time with Merlin as we had a five-hour drive going north up to Vernon, which is at the north end of Lake Okanagan, uh, where she'd invited me to give a talk and run a full-day labyrinth workshop for the Vernon chapter of the Questers. And uh, we made a labyrinth on the shores of Lake Okanagan, which was a marvellous day. But I spent the uh, best part of a week in Vernon, and it was great having some time to explore and relax into the landscape. And there was one particular adventure we had when I was asked to participate in some landscape geomancy in the valley, uh, along with Merlin and her team of Gaia workers. Uh, they had done some work previously with Disher Bay, who's a Vancouver-based geomancer, who's a protege of uh, Marco Pagachnik. Uh, And if you were at our uh, 2013 80th anniversary conference, you'll remember that we had Marco there to give us a talk about his work. Um, However, uh, Merlin and uh, the ladies felt that there was still some energetic blockage in the land up at the head of the valley. And they asked me if I could have a look with them to see if he could resolve the situation. Um, Well, it was quite an eventful day, and I won't go into the whole story here. Uh, I did write about it for Dowsing Today, and you can read the article uh, on my website at westerngeomancy.org if you look under the article section. So we join Merlin here as the two of us are sitting uh, a couple of days afterwards, poring over the maps of the valley, and Merlin is explaining to me the background to their work with Dieter. So, um... I was teaching geobiology workshops, so study of this living earth, what I call it, geobiology, and and that was when I taught the dowsing, and Leanne was in one of those classes a number of years ago, and Dieter Bay was in Living in Salmon Arm, and took 
one of these classes, and he got really enthused, and he has, he's was born and raised in Germany, I'm not sure when he came to Canada, has family in Germany and goes often, and so he got really excited, and he started to study with Marco, and the more he studied with Marco, the more he went back to Germany and studied more with Marco, and more and more, and it was through Dieter that we were able to get Marco to come here to British Columbia. And and as I say, we um, we had the workshop in the shoe shop, and we spent two days in the shoe shop going around to different places and connecting the work that we did and so on. Yeah. Um, so our group asked Dieter if he'd come here. And so Dieter had been here before, whereas Marco had never been to the shoe shop before. But he didn't really know this area super well, but he knew it. So what he did was get um, topographical, is that the right word? Yeah. Maps yeah. with the contour lines. Yeah. And he drew out this area around our city before he came. And then when he came, he spent a day or so driving around, going to place to place to line up on the maps with what was actually happening on the ground before then he took us out and we started to work in this community with him Marco's work through Dieter here sure and a couple of things that I'll, I'd like to mention along the way one is that I have heard uh, through a friend that in the North Okanagan there's almost every geological formation on the planet, you can find it if you know where to go. So great geological diversity between here and north of here, you haven't been very far. Um, and the other thing is when Dieter and through Marco, when they work in cities, they find that of the four basic elements, cities tend to be one or two of those elements primarily. And... Um, like Vancouver was water and might have been earth, I don't remember. But that's typically what they find when they come into a city anywhere in the world, and that's what part of what they incorporate into the work they do. So what so, do they find in Vernon? So what surprised Dieter about what he found in Vernon, this is, and he's been going years and years to Europe and working with Marco. Um... And Marco did work in Vancouver as well as the shoe shop when he came. This is the first city that Dieter's ever found or ever heard of that had all four elements powerfully here. So the water's pretty obvious, the earth, the air, and the fire because of these dragons. Mm -hmm. And so what he found um, when he started to look at the map... He found there were some amazing dualities. So here's this big lake, 90 miles long, and here's this lake, which is maybe 8 miles long or 10, I'm not sure. And at the north end, they have very similar features. Yeah. There's this little short finger coming out the side and the yeah. long one coming out the top. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And... He found these kinds of small, large dualities, Goose Lake, Swan Lake. Similar shape, similar, 
and he found these. He found the large dragon, and then he found the small dragon. Um, and what he found in terms of these are creeks mm -hmm. that um, you've got this creek coming into Cal Lake, just barely going across the north end and going out of Cal Lake. You've got a creek coming into the south end of Swan Lake, barely going across and coming out. That he kept finding these these dualities. Not sure what it means, you know. Yeah, when, yeah. But you look at the landscape and you see what you what was here before any human construction came along. When you do the work, what's your goal? Do you want to have things back to energy neutral? Do you want to restore some balance and harmony? Do you want to try to make it a positive beneficial? I mean, sometimes when people ask you to come to a property, they have one of those basic things or something else in mind. And maybe they haven't even thought about it. Things just haven't been going well there. They want things to go better. So I try to get them to express what they want to see what is it they want to have yeah, happen? Yeah, what do they want? That's the end result. And, yeah. and so when you look at this before there's been any construction, if you're going to be restoring harmony and balance, what are you restoring it to? The, the other thing, as well as these kind of things, similarities, in all the cases, the little lake feeds the large lake. So Goose Lake feeds Duck Lake. Cal Lake feeds... Okanagan Lake. And remember when we came back from lunch and I said, this is where this creek goes across? Yep. That's this. See these two creeks? The creek that does that little bit in Swan Lake goes right through the city and joins up with the creek that does the little bit in Cal Lake right there. I could take you to that spot. And then on it goes and into Okanagan Lake. And we drove by right where it goes in. So the small lake feeds the large lake. And often in nature, it's the parent that feeds the child or the large that looks after feeds the small. But on this landscape, the opposite occurs. So we went to different chakra points and we doused those together. Where was the heart chakra? Where was the solar plexus? Where was Invernon? And we went to those places and did some work. Well, the other thing I was going to point out to you, it's, um, remember this has been glaciated, alpine glaciation? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're going north to Armstrong on this back road, you see here, you see one lake. There are a whole, like, string of beads if you were to yeah. drive along lakes, and that's... That's pretty common. This is up from Oyama. One of these lakes will be Oyama Lake. Um, but this, you're up on the plateau. Mm -hmm. You've climbed a long, long ways to get up to here. Yeah. Now, there's Mabel Lake where you went yesterday. But so all the lakes aren't on here. Yeah. So on this camel hump there, yeah. Yes. And Lumbee. And right through, we were about here at the Nature Center, 
and we were about here at the overlook very little lake so that's where the, the nature center was where again the the brooks up there would, would be here somewhere yeah and then we moved down to so we could see and then we right moved up. Yeah, yeah because we had middleton could, mountain in the way see yeah yeah mm -hmm. i did a very brief bit of map dozing about yesterday so i got this coming down here and then, but then, yeah, the general feeling was there should be something coming over there. That's where the blockage was. And I don't know if you remember how years ago, this would be more like eight or ten, there was uh, the word put out that there were a group of the Illuminati going to take over the big pyramid in Egypt for a night, and they were going to put uh, power and domination out on all the ley lines to affect all the ley lines all over the world. So all over the world... People got together to do whatever they were going to do, and we ended up right where uh, the creeks come in here, because I doused a lay coming here and then up to Silver Star, and so we just put love and on the lines. We didn't do any reaction or response to what they were doing. Now Mount Ida is right there. And it dominates Salmon Arm. It's another... Like when you look at Silver Star, you can't see that mountain different from all the other mountains around. When you're in Salmon Arm, you can just see Mount Ida from everywhere. Yeah. What I found interesting about that camel hump is that it looks different from wherever you are. It does, doesn't it? I mean, looking at it from where we are in now, when you get up close to it, it's like it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. So, I guess there was... Um, pretty impressed with the way Dieter saw mm -hmm. this landscape opened my eyes in many ways to what was here excuse me before all the building began and yeah. so he's he's connecting mm -hmm. so Coldstream Creek comes in and Vernon Creek comes out and BX Creek comes down he just put a different symbol for each one. Yeah. And there's the dragon, but there's a large dragon and a small dragon. And um, Joan was so influenced by what he did and by walking that uh, dragon in Becker Park, which is in the center of town almost, that where she moved is at the head. Mm -hmm. She moved to the dragon's head. Is dragon's head? Dragon's feet? I think dragon's head. Check with her. But the, But she was so that energy mm -hmm. so overwhelmed and impressed her that when it was time for her to to move she's lived in four places in Vernon it was very interesting doing that uh, landscape work when we were up looking at the Camel Hump Hill and you were talking about you had this dream of Jabba the Hutt and there he was just sitting there you know laughing at us yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah there he is you know so, yeah <laughs> And uh, when we went up there as well, and Joan and I both sort of felt, as soon as we went into Lumbee, that, you know, um, I just felt like we just got really tight and tense there. And Lumbee, a lot of the communities around the smaller towns, you get such a mixture. There's a strong uh, Christian, Christian evangelical kind of tradition here, in Vernon and in Lumbee, and then you have kind of that 
extant hippies left over from the 60s and their kids, mm -hmm. you know, Willow and Peace and Sky and Moon and Apple. And and um, so you have those hippies who, like yep. a little BC bud, and, um, yep. and you get other mixtures in. And in Lumbee, you'd have a small professional community of doctors and lawyers and dentists and things. There'd be a small community there. And sometimes these things mix okay and sometimes they don't and the provincial government was going to is going to build a prison in the Okanagan and the communities from the from way south of the south end of Okanagan Lake all the way to this end put in bids for the for the prison and Lumbee was one of those communities and it really split the Lumbee community. There were meetings and signs and angry outbursts and neighbor against neighbor and family member against family member. And I'm not sure how much that's all settled down out there. And that's not the first kind of thing. But I think those kind of issues often are the result of the constricted energy. And then they cause it to build. But the constricted energy was there. Sure. To help make that more, yeah. those sizzle schisms, you know, more dramatic than yeah. what they otherwise would be. Yeah. Well, it certainly seemed to be what was stopping the energy getting further down the valley. Um, it's also interesting, the first place we went to, uh, that we were, in both places, we were drawn to work with water. Yes. With the water dragons. Um, so that's what I was interested in when you were saying about the elements in the city. Yeah. Well, it, it was the... The underground water between that place out in Lumbee where we just were, that that was so clearly connected with mm -hmm. where we'd been in Coldstream. Yeah. Um, it was clear. Yeah. That, and, well, when you look at the Monashis, you can sort of see that. Yeah, but we all seemed to connect really well and tune in and get the same things, which is always a good sign. Yes, always a good sign, and it always, I think it just, each one then reinforces the other, Yeah, get a little bit of validation or a little bit of verification, and it just helps things, Yeah, helps the connection get deepened, I think. When. But I've got to get some of that Zen tea that Kim had, because <laughs> that was just amazing, because Joan and I were both tuning in, and I was had my pendulum going, just sending energy out, and suddenly yeah. my pendulum just switched direction. And that was exactly Kim had just ripped open her tea bag and was sprinkling sand tea around. <laughs> <laughs> so that's of, obviously powerful stuff. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that, that Kim did when we were when we were working around our community, I guess it was after Dieter, before and after, if we were, let's say, at the Brooks Nature Center, she'd pick up a little stone or several, and then the next place we went she'd leave. Mm -hmm. And then pick up, yeah, you know. And she's very good about asking permission all the way along the line. Yeah. But so, it's interesting to me to look at landscapes. Yeah. Um, instead of just individual properties, but it's I don't know enough to do that sort of stuff on my own. Yeah. It reminds me. Did you know Slim Sperling? Or you heard of him? I heard of him. Yeah. yeah. Well, he made rings by cubits. And he's, I guess, done more, and apparently his wife is doing more. But he had this three-and-a-half-cubit ring. I've got some in the trunk of my car. And 
um, different people would use them and experiment, and someone used the ring on, might have been Slim originally, on weather, on clouds, on thunder clouds, and they dissipated. Mm-hmm. And they used those rings in Mexico City to punch a hole through the, what do you call it, overcast, the pollution. fog, the pollution, the yeah. smog. And in Mexico City, that's hard to do. Yeah. But they punched through and got blue sky with, anyway, um, and sometimes when there were hurricanes coming, they would ask through the internet for people to use their rings. And I recall one some years ago that was coming through the Caribbean and they had people use their rings and I don't know what's got to do with what, but that hurricane stalled and the flooding was far more damaging than if the winds had come through mm. because it stalled a bit offshore, but it's that that part that gets all the yeah. rain and the flooding and yeah. and it just stuck there. And I often wondered if it got stuck because of... But I, uh, one day when I was in Parker Cove, I was coming home and there was a squall coming up the lake and it was black, black, black. And I'm driving along this road. Parker Cove is actually about here. So squall coming up the lake. And, uh, I raced my way home and I thought, well, I'll see. I'm skeptical of all this. I'll see what happens. So I got my ring, and I stood and directed it sort of a 90-degree angle, slim like those, at the squall, black, as it was coming. And, of course, I didn't hold it very long. My arms got tired. Mm -hmm. So I propped it up against my shed so it had the right angle. And I went inside the house and, and did something. And a few minutes later, I thought, well, I better go see what's happened. And I came out. The squall was totally gone. There were little bits of dark gray, light black clouds on either side of the lake. It was totally gone. And I just thought, okay, some people are fine working with the weather. And that's maybe their calling. But it's not mine. And I'm not okay because I don't know if I do this with that squall, what difference it makes elsewhere. Now, I've been at workshops on the coast where the stratus clouds are in and it rains and it'll rain soaking, just steady rain for days, right? You probably experienced that in Scotland too. And, yeah, we're used to that. <laughs> and I've been at, at workshops where we were doing, uh, working with the nature spirits, shamanism, nature spirits or something. And, and so we asked that, because we had to go outside pretty often, if it was okay and if no harm was done to anything, could we have, you know, clear, or not clear, but no rain when we needed to go out and work. And so for the whole weekend, whenever we went outside, we were fine. And I've had those kind of experiences, and I feel really okay about that. I feel okay about asking the Davis if they'll bring in sunshine for your workshop in Harrison. I wasn't worried about here. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff, whatever, uh, is okay. But to manipulate the clouds and the formation of clouds and the weather, so, I don't know, somehow it seems yeah, I think a whole different thing. Yeah, we're meddling in things that are beyond us, I think. Well, it's beyond too me. Too large a scale. Beyond me. I'll, I'll, I'm willing to acknowledge there might be somebody out there 
that that isn't that isn't beyond them, but it's beyond me. Yeah, and how do we know? Like say, who else is doing this sort of thing? I've heard stories of people where uh, areas where there are a lot of cloudbusters, and you know people are just acting independently, trying to manipulate the weather, and who knows, you know, what effect that's having. Well, with the kinds of extreme weather we're having all over the world, it would seem to me that. That's way more than enough without adding yeah. our human intervention. Yeah. Which isn't to say, I suppose, if I were somewhere in the path of a tornado, I might not stop the car and open well, the trunk and take out a... But, um, <laughs> but that's, like I say, that's not my... So four years, almost four years later, what I'm left with is these kinds of... Sets of two, sets of two, yeah. sets of two, and sets of two. Yeah. And I had actually forgotten when he said that all the elements were here, uh, balanced here. Like, usually the, all are present, but there's one or two that are the dominant, clearly the dominant ones. Mm-hmm. But the, he found the four were all here fairly balanced. Yeah. Which is kind of a surprise because... Uh, I think this is a city that continually needs assistance dismantling grids of coercion. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, um, you want me to tell you a little bit about the Stargate? Oh, sure. Yeah. Young man who now lives, well, it's in his 40s, I guess, now lives in 50s. Kelowna. When he was a boy, he lived in Lillooet, which is a small community in the Fraser Canyon that's primarily uh, Lytton, sorry. I mix up Lytton and Lillooet often. Lytton. Predominantly First Nations. And when he was like 8, 9, 10, there was an Indian grandmother who told him the legends of the people. And he got eventually that he was old enough to wonder why she was telling him these stories. Um, and she said it was because her children and grandchildren weren't ready to hear them. And he was enthralled. And he would listen and listen and listen, and so she told them to him. And part of what she told him was about this Stargate. And it wasn't until he was an adult doing some construction work that he realized that he was where she had told him it was. And uh, he has tried... It's like there was this enormous tree that I can't... that's come down, right? Mm -hmm. I could not put my arms around it, standing or lying. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is covered by overburden. But when you take away, and some parts are exposed, there are symbols that, um, some are Phoenician, some are Greek, uh, some are like hieroglyphics. He's taken pictures and sent these symbols that he could find to universities and governments all over because, and it's from these professors who've come back and said, oh, well, this is, Babylonian, this is Sumerian, this is Phoenician, this is whatever. It's a mixture of these symbols. It isn't one set of any of these. And he keeps trying to get people who will excavate. Ooh. 
um, would be a big project. And he hasn't been successful, you know. The, and I, I don't know why. But the, the story is that uh, these beings have come through this Stargate and sometime soon this Stargate's going to be activated again. And I wouldn't doubt it. I've been up there three or four times. So it's as if... It's as if the people who put the symbols in, put them in when the tree was upright. And sometimes when you go further into the tree, there's more symbols. So as the tree was growing, symbols were put in, hmm. and the tree grew, and more symbols. And then the tree grew some more, and so on. Right. And so... So these are actually through the wood of the tree. It, it which is now sort of fossilized. Yeah. But that... It wasn't just one-time visit, and there's some places there where if you put your left hand on this one and your right hand on this one, you'll get a little transported and oh. done some of that. But there, there's probably a hundred yards, and very little of it has been is exposed. So I mean, is this tree? Is it mostly just in the ground now? It. It's it's down. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's kind of covered. Yes. Yeah. Covered with, uh, as you can see here, mm -hmm. that's light overburden. Some of it's pretty heavy, like this. Saying is overburden. You have to. They need someone to get this excavated. Right. And some of it's completely covered. I can't see why you wouldn't get somebody interested in that. I can't see why they can't Ooh. either. He. The last time I talked with Rob would just be a year or two ago. I'm trying to think of the last time we went, because I've been up there several times. And Rob has given us permission to go. And he in this he says this place is guarded by Sasquatch. And uh, there's many people who want to go, and not all are meant to go. And there's someone who who said that he felt he was supposed to be the... He'd never been there. He was supposed to be the guardian. And he wanted to take it over and kind of develop it. And he never seems to be able to get there. And there's another couple of women. They were going one day. And um, and they went and their car broke down. As mm -hmm. it, It's a, a decommissioned logging road. So you can go with a van, as you can see. Yeah. But you're better with a 4x4 four four and with good clearance. Um, anyway, this car broke down and they walked and they walked and they walked and they walked. You go up and up and up this mountain and they could not find the place at all. They had to come all the way home. And the next time we went, Joan came mainly because she wanted to know where the heck were they? Mm. And of course, they were right by the Stargate, and she recognized the hillside, but it's like it's like the place had been altered, and they couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. And that seems to happen quite often. Now, the most I've caught of a Sasquatch, if there are such animals, a yetis and whatevers and whatevers, um, is smell. And that's a fairly significant sense to touch, I think, but... Mm -hmm. um, it just seems to me like this year would be a really good year for people to go and see about activating this Stargate. Yeah. 
So can um, tell us what sort of effects does it have? I mean, are there specific points you can tune in? And... Sometimes what happens for me is I just go off. I just there's my physical body, and I'm I'm gone somewhere, and when I come back into my body, I can't always describe where I've gone or what happened. I mm-hmm. just know something's happened to me, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I'm not good at at coming back with useful information. Um, sometimes people get dizzy and lose their balance. There are some people who see things. Yeah. Yeah, so Rob has given us permission to go anytime we want. I always feel like for some reason he was given that connection. He was given the stories that go with not only there, but with that area. Mm-hmm. So when we come down, um, there's a place called Gunsight Ridge, and, and there's stories about when the floods receded. That's where the canoe Right. Came to rest. So that's the local ark story. Yes, yeah, it? the yeah, local yeah. ark story. Okay. And apparently someone's gone up there and uh, you can see, um, just as sort of, I think it was Freddie showing the outlines of the ark on Arif. Yeah. Well, you can see this big canoe. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Or you can get some sense of it. I don't think mm. you can see the whole thing, but mm. get some sense of it. So he has stories like that that he tells as you go up and down the mountain with him. And I do kind of think that, uh, oh, and part of this tree, because when they put this road through, they which is for logging purposes, of course, and as you can see, hydro, um, but when they built some of the roads for the hydro and the logging, they bulldozed out part of the tree, you know? Yeah. But I think the area is protected. And if you're not meant to go there, you won't get there. Hi, I'm Freddie Silva, and I research ancient systems of knowledge, and you are listening to Adventures in Dowsing from the British Society of Dowsers. Now, in society news, as I mentioned last uh, episode, we have a new website that's just about to come online, and I'm pleased to tell you that the e-commerce security certificate issues have finally been resolved, so we're expecting the new website will be live by mid-December. And uh, as I said, we're uh, hoping that the new site will make it a lot easier for members and uh, other people to interact with us and with each other. And uh, it's been designed to do a lot of the the back-end paperwork itself, so it'll be a lot easier for us to maintain and it needs less administration time to process shop orders and take course bookings and so on. Uh, It's going to take a little bit of time for everybody to get used to it, however, um, so it will be a while before we get everything fully loaded up on it. Uh, I have been having a play uh, myself and doing some work on it the last week, and I think it's already looking pretty impressive. So look out for that coming online in the next week or so, uh, assuming you've downloaded this podcast as soon as it's been posted, of course. But for now, uh, let's get back to Merlin, as I finally got around to asking her how she got her name. Could I ask about your name? Sure. How did that come about? Okay. When I was born, my mom and dad, I guess, named me Merle, M-E-R-L-E. Mm-hmm. 
and I believe it was after Merle Oberon, a beautiful and mysterious movie star of the 30s. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Yes? Yeah. You've heard of her? No? I've heard of her, yeah. Oh, there you go. I've heard of her. Yeah. No, well, yeah. uh, I've looked to find a face and have, mm. but otherwise I couldn't either. Uh, although my mother never acknowledged that that was true. But, so I was the fourth, right? When the baby sister came along after the war, 46, she was named Ava. So, come on, Ava Gardner, yeah. hey. So I figure that. But anyway, when I was approaching my 50th birthday, so starting about 48, my life really changed with this heart stuff. And, and it caused me, because of the non-answers I got from the doctors I went to, to look for other... About a year after I had all this heart stuff, I had a small stroke. And that's when I went, time out. I don't like the direction my life is going. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to find out more. And that's what took me off the beaten track and trail. And um, so as I was coming up to 50, I wanted to change my name. I thought Merle was a wonderful name for first 50 years, but I wanted a name for my second 50. And I, I wanted a name that was a girl's name because Merle has more men Merles I've heard of than women. I have heard of some other women Merles, but they've mostly been male. And so I wanted a name that was clearly one or the other. And when Merlin came, I know some female Merlins, like Merlin Stone writes women's history and so on, but most of the Merlins I've ever heard of are males. And I rejected the name. And the name came to me from psychics, mm -hmm. and it came from friends, and it came from... I was in the shower this morning, and I got Merlin, 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 you know? And so, finally, after a couple of years of this, I took it and I called myself Merlin. M-E-R-L-Y-N-N-E. -N -N -E. <laughs> okay. And I even mm -hmm. went to the... The humidaire, you know, I'm sorry, see, that's why I say I'm not sharp. I went to the people that do numerology and do names, and I, I gave them my birth date, and I asked, and I got a whole list of potential first names, and I got a whole list of potential last names. And I was just beginning to learn about European basic traditions. I first... When I got off the beaten path, the first things that came my way were First Nations things, and and I was very glad that that happened. For several years, that's what it was, and I was just starting to hear about European things. And one of the choices that I was offered for a last name was Belton, B-E-L-T-A-N. But you can put in an I anywhere, and it doesn't change things. Yeah. So I put in Beltane, A-I-N, because that meant something to me. And so that's where that came from. Sure. And when I went round and said, which of these first names do you like? To my family and my friends, they um, they said no. <laughs> I liked, there was Genoa. I thought I liked that. I don't know if it's particularly, maybe it's a unisexual name or something. It's not particularly female or male. There was, there was Andorra. Yeah. Another country? Yeah. Yes. Well, well and, and Andorra was, wasn't that in um, 
that old TV show with the witch in and her husband was an astronaut. Uh, wasn't that her mother's name, Andorra? <clears throat> you know that show, I mean? Where she'd, she'd wink her nose bewitched. and the house bewitched. would be clean? Yeah, Bewitched. bewitched. No, bewitched. wasn't it Pandora? Oh, I thought it was Andorra. Pandora. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, there, were, there, was, there was 30 suggestions, mm. and none of them kind of took. Mm. And people... People weren't too pleased with me. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, I made my name change legal over 20 years ago. And I still have aunts and uncles that won't call me that. Yeah. And I said to them, who offers you telephone service? And they say, tell us. All your life that was BC Tell, and it's only recently Tell Us. How come you call them Tell Us and you won't call me Merlin? <laughs> anyway, I started Merlin and I slowly evolved and finally got where I was okay with saying Merlin. But mm. anyway, I you know, I don't know sometimes why these things come. Yeah, and that's one of them. And and now the more and more and more I learn, which I've learned a lot in the last twenty years the more embarrassed I get about the, my name, especially with people who know Beltane and they know, I go, oh, but, well, but that's my name right now and I've got 30 more years to have it, so, you know. Well, yeah, uh, I was similar when I heard it. I thought, what a really strange name for a lady to have, but somehow it kind of fits you. you well, it really does. Yeah, it really it's, does. So. it's um, I got this cat when I was hmm. first living here at, in the coal stream. I was living in the basement of the house of this woman who was 90 who needed some moderate care. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, uh, so I got this cat and I had just come back from Egypt and so I was going to call the cat Bast or Bastet. And so I'm, I was lived in the basement and I'm coming up the stairs because while I was in Egypt she'd broken her hip so we had more care help than previously hmm. and um and i'm thinking bastard bastet and i get katumi i'm going bastard bastet katumi bastard bastet bastard bastet katumi i went okay okay the cat's name is katumi yes the cat's name is katumi. where did katumi come from i have no clue hmm. the only thing i know is a few years later this acquaintance here in Vernon, I said something about Katumi, and she said, I just can't stand that you named your cat after the Being I channel. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> but I don't very often get such a dramatic. And Katumi was Katumi, right? So, so For 16 years. She's channeling your cat. Apparently she was. <laughs> she thought my cat was channeling her deity. I don't that's know. A, that's a great story. <laughs> but so sometimes these things come. Mm. And what do you do? Just before I left the coast, I belonged to this red cedar circle. And apparently in the coastal Indian villages, for the kind of medicine that was taught, they would put over the hut of the family, a red cedar or another kind of cedar or yellow cedar, whatever, it doesn't always be cedar, and that told the people what kind of medicine they could expect when they went in there. And there was this uh, young man 
name was Stemony, um, and I'll think of his English name soon, who ended up with four different, in his grandparents, branches of the coast Indian people, and they were all healers, and from when he was very young, he was taught the healing tradition, and his sister was taught the women's teachings. When she died, they taught him the women's teachings too, and he was one who was told that he was to teach these teachings to the Europeans, and some First Nations people are fine with that, and some aren't, and, but that was part of what he was given to do, and uh, so these red cedar circles formed all over the coast, Washington and, and B.C., and we used to meet uh, once a week, and we'd start off singing Sisiwis, that's another way to say the medicine, uh, Sisiwis songs, and when we'd sung four Sisiwis songs, we could sing songs from any tradition, and uh, a lot of Shaker songs, actually, that yeah. song, but um, people would sing songs they'd been given, and I'd sit there going, first of all, you know, when you join, you don't know any Sisiwis songs or any anything, but you learn. Um, you're given a song? They say, oh, just ask. You'll be giving them too. And since I'm pretty atonal, you know, I'm thinking, hmm. But I'm amazed just by asking how many songs during that period of time I was given. And you take them to the circle, you sing them a few times, and then other people join in, and then they belong to the circle. Mm. And... Uh, it just comes, yeah. And sometimes it's words. For yeah. me, it's more often words than music because I don't carry a tune very well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it is surprising when you ask what things come. Mm-hmm. And it, I know that when I was in those, in there at first, I thought, well, that's great that those people get songs. I'll never get a song. You know, mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm... <laughs> I'm noted for being a bad singer and have been <laughs> noted that way for many, many, many years. So, But yeah, the songs came. Yeah. Some short, some longer. Don't ask me now, but... Uh, mm. Yeah, I still find it hard to, if I have to start a chant in circle, you know. I'm fine joining in, but if I have to start it, so, you know, I just, I don't trust my singing voice either, so, yeah. But, you know... Um, I first was was offering uh, crystal healings, you'll say. I went to the Advanced Academy, the something Academy of Advanced Healing Arts. Oh, Crystal Academy of Advanced Healing Arts? Anyway. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're Americans. They have big names for things. And, um, and then a bunch of things happened that I couldn't, I had no context for and didn't know how to deal with. I saw things that... I'm not a seer. How could I be seeing these things? And um, then I started journeying and offering journey work. And um, and I was frequently asked to sing and asked to draw. And I always say, and this is true, I, the, I draw worse than the average five-year-old. And I can't sing worth a toot, but that's what I was asked to do, so I did. Mm. You know, you just do it when you're asked to do it. But I have to find, I have to say it's pretty curious that I would get asked to do that. But now you just sort of go, well, okay, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm a little older, but I don't know about much wiser. Yeah, I, I, we don't care so much about making a fool of ourselves. No, <laughs> much less, much less indeed. It's just, just like. <laughs> but when I was doing the crystal healing, I thought it would be kind of emotional, psychological kinds of things. The first person to step on my table steps up and says, "See this scar?" Well, when this is a woman, mid to late forties, when she was a teenager, she had this hap- accident happened, and there was active staff and inactive staff infection in there, and she wanted me to look at it. All right, up on the table. So she never said another word. She wasn't giving me a thing while I worked on her. And and when I finished, I drew for her what I'd found, where this was and where the active staff and the inactive staff. And she said, that's exactly what the doctors show me when I see an x-ray. Hmm. And I'm going, wait a minute. I can't see inside somebody's body. And what do I do with that anyway? Like... So if that's the active staff and that's the inactive, what do I do about that? You know, that's why I think it was a big, that's why partly maybe we're having this conversation today. <laughs> Excuse me for using you to work out things. Do you remember me saying to you yesterday that sometimes I think in this work, it's not so much the dealing with it. It's knowing what you're dealing with. Yeah. And then you get your helpers to look after things. You need, but you need to be a little more clear than maybe I sometimes am about what you're dealing with. So when I started, I felt responsible for dealing with that. Now I suppose I could just turn it over. Sure. Yeah. This, I went to a women's weekend up the mountains and I decided to set up my table and they were doing chakra balancing I call it and um, so people were going on and off the table all day long and this young woman I'd never seen before she was maybe 19 very beautiful young woman gets on my table and usually I start at the feet the basis or the understanding or whatever and work up but for some reason I started there and um When I got to her shoulders, you know how when you're burnt and then it heals in chips? Yeah, yeah. Well, her bones were all chipped like that. Her bones were all little, all the way down. And the more I went, the more I could see what had happened or been done to her and... It wasn't till later I found out that she was a Kurdish girl who now lived in Ontario, had come there with a friend, and when she was around 12, she was arrested with some other Kurds, and I'm not sure if it was in Turkey, eastern Turkey, or in Iran. She was jailed and tortured Mm -hmm. for many years before, for some reason, she was released. And so I was seeing all the effects of this torture throughout her whole yeah. body. And, and you know, what do you do with that? Anyway. So, now I know what to do with it. 
I don't know where she lives, this girl. I had a friend who was part of the Vesta, Vesta, Vancouver area survivors of torture. Vast, Vancouver area survivors of torture. And most of the people they worked with were from Central America at that time. That was Guatemala, Salvador, Honduras, people that had been tortured and had been able to get out of the country. Now, I suppose Mexico would be big, but... But they, they had some Kurdish people, but not a lot of them. I was thinking there must be organizations like that in Ontario, but I don't know how you walk through that door. No. See. Anyway, mm. I'm babbling on. I should go home. Can we just talk a little bit about the questions? Um, I'm quite interested in the fact that in this big country you have these sort of two societies, you know, one in the East, who seem to be more sort of traditional dowsing based, shall we say. And then yes. out here you have the questers who seem to have gone way beyond dowsing and you're into all sorts of stuff. You have an extremely broad umbrella. So, you know, I'd just love to hear how that came up about out here. Uh, the best that I know is that um, in the 60s, a group of dowsers uh, started and they would meet regularly, mainly in Vancouver, and uh, some in southern Vancouver Island, Victoria. And when they sort of started to formalize their meetings and then got so they wanted to, excuse me, form a society, while they were based on dowsers, dowsing, they were interested in a lot of alternative things. And they thought if they called themselves the Canadian Society of Dowsers, because we're a little older than our Eastern cousins, mm -hmm. um, that that might be limiting. And so if you look, and I think it's on the website, there's a statement of what um, questers are about. But they wanted to look at more alternative aspects of, of things than, than just dowsing. But dowsing was the basis mm -hmm. on which they were built. And so... They decided those who question. I could hear that question mark. Yes, <laughs> like the Victor Borg. Well, and what strikes me sometimes is is uh, the majority of our members are gray, and um, they need to get more kids in. But the more majority of our members are gray, and it strikes me that people get to a place sometimes in their forties or their fifties, sometimes later, where they kind of pick their head up and they look around and they go wait a minute what's going on in this world yeah this isn't what i thought it was this isn't what there's got to be more than this and they start to look around and some of those people find questers and because we're older we often have a lot of health related presentations because we're interested in alternative health things yeah. um and it and it depends sometimes who's getting the speakers you know, um, I tend to get the dowsing speakers because I have more connections with that community than Carol. Say, I used to get all the speakers, and Carol started getting the speakers a bit ago, but I would still get some of the speakers. But yeah, so uh, I'm glad that there were the questers because, <laughs> because you know, um, British Columbia is the California of. Canada, right? Yeah, I was kind of getting towards that. So yeah. people are into the more way out stuff out here. Yeah, they say you know people in British Columbia are like a bowl of granola, 
You've heard that, right? Yeah. Everyone who isn't a nut or a fruit is a flake. <laughs> and so we got a lot of flakes. And so the the Canadian Society of Dowsers formed later. Definitely uh, dowsing is their main basis, but they have broadened out a little bit in the last few years and have other presenters that aren't just dowsers. Uh, and even ASD has done that too. Yeah where they've started to branch out a little more than what they used to. There was a time when CSD, everything had to be dowsing, but they have adjusted that. We we started to see if we couldn't bring our two societies together, and we did a few things towards that end. But, you know, it's... Um, president of CSD, when it was Gary Skillens, came out here, and... Uh, but, you know, they... Um, they're definitely more structured and more orderly and more organized in, and especially like when Calgary, um, John Living had the Holistic Intuition Society, and he says we shouldn't call it dowsing. We should call it intuition. Mm -hmm. Because more people will be attracted and it will appeal to more people to learn to tap into their intuition and you teach them dowsing, but you call it intuition. That's This is John's strong, fervent belief. So he had the Holistic Intuition Society, and there was chapters in Edmonton and Calgary, Saskatoon, and Winnipeg, I think. And when he was shutting it down, he came to me, and, and because it's shrunk and shrunk, and they ended up having a conference of about 30 people came from, came to, but they had almost the same speakers year after year, like Walt Wood spoke every year and Harold McCoy would speak every year and um, some of these, you know, they're great guys. But I've heard Harold speak probably five or six times and I know that cello story, I could almost tell it myself. Have you ever heard him tell? Oh, it's how someone in Oakland lost a cello and he dozed where it was and distant dowsing he lives in arkansas mm -hmm. and he dowsed it out and then he had them uh make some posters for the cello and just post them around the address where he knew the cello was so every time anyone came out of that house and turned around there was a poster about this cello but they didn't do the rest of the city right and eventually i guess the person or maybe not eventually maybe quickly went ah they've caught me <laughs> Turn the cello. But he's told this story like every time he talks, he tells that. And and the other great story he would tell is how he picked up a, an American Society of Dowsers journal. He just retired, and he was taking up dowsing. And they're in this hills in Arkansas, and his daughter builds a house, and they move in, and she's going, Dad, Dad, we don't have enough water. If we want to do the clothes wash, we can't do the dishes, and we have to just do one at a time. And if you're going to have a shower, you can't do anything else, and we need more water. And so he just read an article in an ASD journal about how someone moved water. So he did a little drawing of his daughter's house and where the well was and where the water was, and it would just miss the main water flow by a little bit. So he put a pencil on the paper, tapped it a whole bunch of times because he didn't know how many times to tap it. The phone rings. It's his daughter going, Dad, what did you do? Now we don't have any water at all because he tapped it too Wrong many way. times and moved the water. <laughs> so 
I think he went out there and then he he put up some rebar in the ground and, and, and doused how many times to tap and then they had enough potable water that they could have a shower while running water in the kitchen sink and maybe doing the laundry. <laughs> but he, he told some great, great stories. I, oh. I, I like that one. with the. I can just see somebody putting the pencil down going, well, I don't know how many hard to tap it and how many taps to do. <laughs> the water's gone. <laughs> great. So the other thing I like about Questers, as I say, is that broad umbrella. It is the variety. It's, for the most part... There is a real acceptance across this range, but every now and again you meet where there isn't. But for the most part, there's a lot of acceptance across these across these realms. So um, that's yeah. part of what makes Questers, I think, such an interesting group. Yeah, I'm just amazed at the, the breadth of uh, topics that you get into. Yes. It's, yeah, it's a wonderful, vibrant society. Well, I hope you enjoyed those tales of the questers. They are certainly some of the most interesting people that I've ever had the pleasure of spending time with, and I enjoyed the experience immensely. Uh, They do say that British Columbia is the California of Canada, and I can kind of see where that sentiment is coming from. So uh, many thanks to Merlin for sharing her dowsing universe with us. Uh, It was a fascinating conversation, and just listening to it again makes me wish I was back in BC right now. So uh, that's it for this podcast and probably this year. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Hanley Swan, England. For more details about the society and how we can help you get more out of your own dowsing, please see our website at britishdowsers.org. If you have any comments about the show that you would like to share, send us an email to podcast at britishdowsers.org. You can also check out our forum and find us on Facebook, YouTube and even Twitter. Thanks for listening. Many thanks to Hilary Brooks and Not For Pussies for the music. And be sure to join us in 2014 for more Adventures in Dowsing. And I'll leave you now as a special treat with a little bit of uh, toning and chanting from the Questos Choir that we recorded at conference. Have a great festive season and a wonderful new year. <laughs> <laughs>